So when you're physically active, if you're doing strength exercise, you're gonna live a long time. If you're doing endurance exercise, you're gonna live a long time from the strength, and then you're also gonna add that your brain is gonna function better. And the other, gonna, the other reason that you're gonna live a long time is because your cardiovascular function is gonna be maintained. So all of these things together tell us the strongest thing we can do to improve our longevity and our health span is to continue to exercise, be physically active. Hey, what's up, my friend? My name is Ted Rice, and welcome to the Legendary Light Podcast. Super excited to share this episode with you today because it's all about a very, very important subject that I think you're going to be very interested in, longevity. How would you like to live to 100 or maybe 120? What does it take to get there? What does the science actually show? Because a lot of people out on the internet are saying, hey, just do fasting or take nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Try saying that three times fast. In other words, take some supplement and you can live for a long time. But the reality is there is scientific evidence about what helps us live longer and not only longer, right? Because we can take blood pressure medications, all types of medications to do that. But how do we do it in a way where we're truly living a high quality of life, where we're still doing things at 80, 90, 100? That's what today is going to be about. And I have a very special guest for you. His name is Keith Barr. He is actually a researcher who studies this stuff. And he's going to break it down for you today. You're going to learn all about what science has shown that will definitely help you live longer and better and enjoy that high quality of life. So we're about to get to that. Before we do, I want to let you know that we've re-recorded the masterclass. We're doing a end of the year special masterclass. So if you watch the previous masterclass, this is completely different. If you are looking to get your health handled now instead of waiting for the new year, new you, craze, buzz, the New Year's resolutioners who end up giving up within the first month or so. If you want to get your health handled now and do it the right way, what I want you to do is go to legendarylifepodcast.com slash free. That's legendarylifepodcast.com slash free and check out the brand new masterclass that I've recorded for you. All right. Well, I'm not going to spend too much more time talking about Keith, but all I'll say is that these are the types of guests I love getting on the show because they cut down to the truth and tell you what really works instead of all the marketing that may make you feel happy or it may excite you, but when you actually put it into action, it doesn't work. So let's dive into the science of longevity with Dr. Keith Barr. Keith Barr, thank you so much for being on the show today. I've been listening to interviews with you on other podcasts. I've been reading your research. I've been into your information. So it's just an honor and a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to, it's great to get a chance to talk with you. For those of you who are listening, Keith is a researcher who is into longevity and so you're just in for a great treat today. And Keith, um, could you could we start by you briefly telling the listeners a little bit about what it is that you do? Sure. So I basically started as a as a very uh, average athlete, and then went into um, doing some more coaching based things, and became a strength and conditioning coach at the University of Michigan with their American football team there, and. Um, from there, so I, I had you know some years doing elite, um, elite high high performance at the strength and conditioning background, and then from there I went in to do a master's degree and a PhD, um, basically trying to understand the molecular mechanism underlying why a muscle gets bigger when we exercise. So that was that was my PhD. Um, then I went to Washington University in St. Louis, and. There, what I did was I looked to see why you get more mitochondria after you do endurance exercise. So how is it that when you do endurance exercise, how is it that you get more of an aerobic adaptation, that you're better able to use oxygen as a, as a source of, uh, to generate energy using oxygen? And so, so after that, I, I went 
to the University of Michigan again. And, and there, what I did is I worked with an engineer who is probably one of the smartest people in the world. And he has got a patent in every uh, automatic transmission vehicle. He's got all kinds of things that are flying up in space as part of the, as part of, uh, the U.S. defense system. And he was engineering muscle. And so we engineered muscle and, and tendon or ligaments together. And then I got a chance to start my first laboratory in, in Scotland. And I was in Scotland for five years. And we did some really fun work there as to kind of how, how some of the, the molecular pathways could build a muscle bigger and how the, all of those things were happening. And then about 10 years ago, I moved to Davis and, and that's where we've stayed. And, and basically what I do here is I look at how nutrition, exercise and age affects our musculoskeletal function. So our, the function of our muscles, but also our tendons, our ligaments and our other connective tissues. Yeah. So in other words, you're a science rock star and you're coming up with all this research that is leading uh, people like myself and others to get better results with the people who we work with. So it's good to have you on finally to speak to you directly. And uh, I can't tell you how much of it is. It's going to be a treat for those of you who are listening right now. We're going to stick with the physical activity today because we could go in so many directions and hopefully uh, we can have you back on the show and explore those other avenues that you mentioned. But let's start out by what can you tell someone listening right now about the connection between physical activity, muscle strength, muscle mass, and longevity? What do we need to know to live to 100 years old and how activity fits in with that? Yeah, so so it's a great question because it's not something that people normally look at. So so I was doing the the welcoming to the new PhD students to to the university today, and and they're all there to study like one protein and how it how it's important in cancer. And it's like, okay, well, do you realize that just by shifting your diet, you can decrease cancer by in extreme cases of 75% in that if you are in the strongest third of the population, your chance of dying from cancer is one quarter that if, as if you're in the weakest third of the population. Um, in fact, in, in humans, the best correlation between something physical within your body and your longevity is actually your muscle mass and strength. So if you're looking to live a long time, you need to be strong. And it's, you know, there's this idiom that only the strong survive. And it's a, it's a literal truism is what we call it, because it is literally true that the stronger you are, the longer you survive. Um, and it's relative to your size, obviously. So if you're, if you were born and you, during development, you grew to be huge. Yeah. In any type of organism. So the, the easiest example for most people is dogs. A big dog is not going to live as long as a small dog. But if you're a medium-sized dog from development and then you become a strong medium-sized dog, you're going to live longer than the weaker ones. Same thing is true for people. So if whatever size you happen to grow to, if you're six foot, if you're a strong six-foot person, you're going to live longer than a shorter six-foot person. And so that's really, really important. And that's the physical activity component. Then we talk about other things about aging, and it's not about just living a long time, you want to actually live and, and really reap the benefits and, and still be mentally um, really sharp and, and still have a lot of a capacity for learning and memory. And that's where the aerobic component of exercise comes in. And we talk about aerobic exercise as doing two things. And one is to, is to help the heart function better. And the other thing is to help the brain function better. And so the, there's beautiful study um, out of Sweden where they looked at 110,000 kids coming into the military and they, they showed this perfect linear correlation between your aerobic fitness and your intelligence on, and it was Sweden at a time where it was a homogeneous population. So the intelligence tests were actually relatively decent because they'd all had the same educational opportunities. They'd all had all of these other things that don't exist anymore. And so the best correlation that they found was with intelligence was actually aerobic fitness. And it makes sense because now the more aerobic exercise you do, we're starting to learn how our muscles from that physical activity, they're doing two things. They're, one is they're getting rid of a neurotoxin 
So a, a protein, it's a breakdown product of an amino acid that normally if it gets into the brain, it becomes this neurotoxic protein or this neurotoxic chemical. So it basically kills brain cells. When you have a lot of mitochondria in your muscle, it will break that little amino acid down further so that it can't get into the brain. So you prevent this neurotoxin from getting to the brain. And the other thing that happens is you turn on a neurotrophic, so a, a brain growth factor gets turned on when you do endurance exercise. So when you're physically active, if you're doing strength exercise, you're going to live a long time. If you're doing endurance exercise, you're going to live a long time from the strength. And then you're also going to add that your brain is going to function better. And the other going to, the other reason that you're going to live a long time is because your cardiovascular function is going to be maintained. So all of these things together tell us the strongest thing we can do to improve our longevity and our health span is to continue to exercise, be physically active. Wow. So many, that opens up so many questions. And it's interesting that physical activity has the strongest correlation with living longer because so many people talk about, like Walter Longo talks about restricting protein, restricting calories. But you're saying the strongest evidence we have shows that the physical activity, specifically muscle mass and strength and uh, aerobic conditioning is what leads to having a body that is going to last for a long time uh, and also a brain that's going to last just as long as our body. Yeah. So the big, the big difference there is that we're talking about people and that's a really important distinction to make because yes, we know that caloric restriction is going to actually cause longevity to increase more. So if you look at if you look at worms and if you look at flies and you look at all of these lower organisms, mice as well, that they live longer on a calorically restricted diet. They live longer on a ketogenic diet. They live longer on a low protein diet. All of these things are doing something within the body. They're turning on little pathways. They're changing how the body works. The big difference is that um, they're, they're not necessarily scalable to human. And the reason for that is that when we talk about the little worms that we use, these C. elegans, which are going to be really important organisms for understanding genetics, most of them die from GI, um, their, their gut breaks down. <laughs> That's not something that causes humans to die. Right. Eight out of 10 mice die from cancer. So if you can slow the growth of cancer, you're going to have this dramatic effect on life or longevity in mice. So what, it, what we're learning from these lower organisms is if you have a GI problem, yeah, restrict your calories because that'll keep your GI functioning better. And that's what we learn from the worms. If we then change and we say either a ketogenic diet or a low protein diet, well, those two things have something in common. One, they're only supplying one part of a pathway that you need two things to come together. And so if you only have half of the pathway, the pathway doesn't turn on all the way. That's fine if you're going to die from cancer, because what you're doing is you're lowering the risk of cancer. So they increase lifespan in mice and, and rodents. But in humans, only 20% of humans die from cancer, maybe a little bit higher than that. And so it's not going to have as dramatic of an effect if we do those other types of diets. And what tends to happen is we tend to, in humans, most of it is going to be cardiovascular there's going to be cancer. And we now know that about 18% of people are dying from inactivity. And there's beautiful work from Steve Blair that shows that inactivity is killing upwards of 18%. And that's more than smoking, diabetes, all of these other things combined. And so really what we're looking at is strength for longevity, cardiovascular fitness or endurance exercise will help your cardiovascular function and it'll keep your brain working much better. Very, very important. Thank you for setting the stage on this. Let's dive into some specifics. If we can, let's start with resistance training first. Can you talk about some practical applications that you found, some, some evidence-based suggestions, if you will, on what we should all be doing? Uh, you talked about strength I've heard you talk about this before, but just for the clarification of anyone who might be listening, like, do I have to deadlift 500 pounds or 
three times my body weight. Can you just uh, talk a little bit about the practicalities and specific recommendations on strength training? Yeah. So, so basically, and you've, you've had Stu Phillips on here. So Stu's done a, a bunch of the research in this area where what it, what it seems quite clear now from the, from the research that's been done is that any weight that you lift to failure will make your muscle bigger. But in order to make your muscle stronger, you have to lift a heavy weight. And so what we tend to do is we tend to say, look, if we know that we need to lift to failure to get a bigger muscle, and we know that we need to lift a heavy weight to get a stronger muscle, well, then if we combine the both of them, you lift a heavy weight to failure. Now what you're going to do is you're going to get the strength component from lifting the heavy weight, and you're going to go to failure, and that's going to give you the growth component. And so the big thing here is that the return you get for adding a bunch of extra things on is, is a little bit lower. So a couple of people have, have done some, some studies where they say, look, if we increase the volume, the number of sets we do to five sets, we get a slightly bigger muscle, but you're going to take more than five times as long as if you did one set. Um, and so if you're an elite athlete, uh, if you're a bodybuilder, if those that small amount of muscle mass is going to make a big difference, that's fine. You can do five sets. I personally go into the gym and I will lift one set. I'll, I'll lift as much as I can, maybe between eight and 12 times. So when I get to 12, I increase the weight. When I And then I keep trying to linearly progress. I'll go until I can't possibly lift the weight anymore. And then... My spotter, who's my wife, she'll lift up the weight for me and I'll go down slowly once or twice to give myself what we call positive failure, which is I can't lift the weight anymore. And then we go to negative failure, which I can't even lower it anymore because we know that we're 1.8 times stronger in the eccentric phase or the lowering of the weight. So if I'm doing a bicep curl on the way up, if I can lift 100 pounds on the way down, I can resist 180 pounds going away. Because that's just from how the structure of the muscle is. It is built in such a way as to shorten. So it's, it's not as efficient when it shortens as when it lengthens because the whole structure is made to shorten. So when you're pulling it the opposite direction, everything is working against you. So you can resist with a gr much greater force. And so there's a couple of pieces of equipment that actually can monitor and say, this is how much force you're producing in the positive. And then what they'll show is that, oh, here's the negative phase and your force goes way up. And it's about 1.8 to two times more. So what I'm doing when I do my set is I'm pushing till I can't lift it anymore. I'm having my spotter lift it for me and I'm lowering it slowly. And that's doing two really important things for me. That's getting me to both positive and negative failure. So that's further along the failure. So I'm going to get a bigger growth stimulus. And it's also doing something which is I'm moving the weight really slowly. And so I'm getting up towards 50 now. And so what that means for me is that I need to be careful that as I lift, what I want to make sure that I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I get healthy tendons as well as healthy muscles. And what we, what we tend to find is that if we lift a muscle or if we lift a weight quickly, a lighter weight quickly, what happens is that's going to stiffen most of the studies show that that stiffens the tendon and what that and it also because we're lifting a light weight it's not strengthening the muscle too much and so now the likelihood that i'm going to pull a muscle is higher and so what i'm doing when i lift one set heavy set to failure i'm getting strong because the first set it's only one set but i'm going to lift as much as i can and then i'm going to go to failure and when i get to failure what that means is i've got the stimulus to grow bigger the heavy weight gives me the stimulus to get stronger and now you put them both together and now I've got a, a good combination that's really efficient and it also takes all of the boxes that I'm looking for. Yeah. So some great practical recommendations there. Make sure you're at least doing that one set, which is the majority of the results of anyone's workout, isn't it, Keith? It's that first set that you do to failure, and then the it starts giving diminishing returns for the second, third, all the way up to the fifth, like you mentioned. So if you're at least, if you're one of those people who just can't stand lifting weights, at least doing that one set is going to 
give you most of what you need, maybe not to uh, you know, compete at a high level or, or join a bodybuilding or physique competition, but that's going to give you what you need, especially if you're tight on time or maybe don't enjoy resistance. And so you want to work a little bit harder on the way down. Make sure that you're focusing on that eccentric or that lowering phase uh, where your muscle is lengthening under the load because you're 1.8 to two times stronger. So to really get to the point where you challenge your muscles, you want to slow down there. And if you want to take that to the next level, have a spotter and work to the point where you can't even lower it anymore. I do have a, a, a question. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this because uh, we'll get lost in the weeds here or the people listening rather, but there were some studies that showed um, working to failure can even cost you more time to recover. And what my question to you would be, is that a case where maybe the more sets you're doing, the more you need to be aware of the amount of muscle damage you're doing, or uh, what what specifics could you say? Are you familiar with the studies that I'm talking about? Uh, probably don't know the exact studies, but um, so so one of the important things to realize is that um, when we lift a when we lift a weight, and it's a human just lifting a weight, and there's no electrical stimulus to it. You don't actually see a lot of what they call Z-band streaming. So this muscle, this extreme muscle damage, you get small muscle damage. Yes, definitely. Especially the first time you go through it. But what, what we know is that if you do an exercise and you're sore the next, really sore the next day and the day after that, that that's caused some sort of a damage. It's, you, it's probably to the membrane of the muscle, the fiber has had some little openings to it and that's caused an increase in pressure. There's something called the repeated bout effect, which means that the next time you do it, you're not going to get as much of that. And the next time you do it, you're not going to get as much of it. That's one of the reasons why people actually give up with their training is because, oh, it doesn't hurt any, you know, I don't feel sore, so I must not be working hard enough. It's actually not that way. Your body is responding the way it's supposed to respond, which means that you're stabilizing these structures. You're not getting as much injury. And if injury is a stimulus for growth, then maybe you're not getting as much growth, but you're still getting the increase in strength. So I, I, I want to make sure that people don't say, well, I got to lift until I feel sore the next day or the day after. That's not necessarily going to always be true because you're going to adapt. You're going to get the repeated bout effect and you're not going to get as much injury in the future. Having said that, we always get more injury when we do more lengthening contractions or eccentric loads. That provides a greater load, so the, the likelihood of getting some muscle damage is higher. But you normally adapt to that, and so that decreases over time. I tend to, I, I'll lift weights twice a week. Um, when I was training the Michigan football team, the coach that I was working with, we would train two times a week. Um, we might train a third time if we're in the off season, um, but it wasn't something where we're lifting weights six times a week. So again, it depends on what your goal is. If you are an Olympic lifter, you're going to lift more because you can't go to failure in an Olympic lift because it's a dynamic movement. It's this type of movement that you can't get to failure the same way that you can in an isolated exercise. The result is you need to do greater volume to get closer to that failure point. And so if you're doing Olympic lifts or big moves like a deadlift or like a squat, where there's small muscles that are going to fail before the big muscles fail, you, you do more volume. Because those sets, those exercises, you can't go to failure safely. If you can go to failure, the one set is all you need. But again, that all depends on the type of training that you're doing. Yeah, thanks for uh, clarifying that, especially with the the soreness. Because like you said, so many people, that's their measure on how effective the workout is instead of well, are you lifting more weight or are you lifting the same weight, more reps? And I, I guess that is really the measure we should all be looking at because if you're pushing to eccentric failure, so you, can, you can't lift it anymore, but you can still lower it. And then you got a spotter there working with you until you can't even lower it. The next time you do that workout, are you able to perform better? Yes or no, either by squeezing out more reps or adding more weight. And if the answer is yes, 
then your workout is working regardless of what techniques you're using. And if it's no, then either it could be your workout or some other maybe stress or poor sleep or nutrition or your workout that might be stopping you from making progress. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Definitely. So the way that I do it, and, and people say, well, how many times a week should I do? Well, right. you start, <laughs> you start with something like you start with something like you do one, you do two. And then what you do is we have what what we call a test workout where you go in and you say, okay, my test workout is to do, I'm going to do, say, if my key things are bench press and squat. Okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to come in the gym every two to three weeks and you're going to do bench press and squat. And what you're going to do is you're going to have the same kind of rest day before so that you're always in the same state when you come in. So that you've given your chance, uh, yourself a chance to recover from your last workouts and you're going to do your test workout. Do you perform better or worse? If you perform better than you did before, then you're doing the right thing. And you can, all right, I'm going to try and add a third day in now. You're going to go two weeks with three days a week. And now you're going to do that same test workout. If you perform better, that's great. Three days a week is fine. If you want to push yourself further, you can continue to do this. But what you have to do is you have to have some way to measure your progress. And the only way to really measure your progress is to do some sort of a test workout. There's a couple of apps that that um, are on the phone that give you your, they're like a one rep max where somebody takes a video of you on the phone and it actually, what it does is it um, it basically calculates that day's one rep max for that exercise. Interesting. So that's another way to do it where you can come in and you can say, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to videotape this and it's going to give me my daily one rep max. And then you can use that because like you said, you're going to come in some days, you're going to be underslept. Some days you're going to be underfed or you're going to have not had your coffee. You're going to, all of these differences. What people have done in, in Carlos, who's the guy who de- designs the app, basically what he, he's done is he does the one rep max. You just do a, an easy, like your warm up, where you're just going to do one repetition. It calculates from how quickly you do that. What's your one rep max is that day? And then you can actually take 80% of that and use that as your weight for that day. So you can change your weight using that. And that's a very good way to progress. Or you can use it as a test to see how well I've done since three weeks ago when I added that extra workout or two weeks ago. And once you get into a steady state where basically if you add another workout, now your performance comes down, then you back off. And you get it back. So when you're continuing to progress. Yeah. Oh, wait, what's the name of that app? The designer's call is named Carlos. And then it's Balsa, Balsalobre. He's a Spanish researcher. Um, and so he's got, I think it's the MyLift app. MyLift? Yeah, it's MyLift. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. So for those, I'll, I'll experiment with that. And uh, just for the people who are like, listening and love technology and apps and want to dial things in a bit more that's something you can go check out is the my lift app yeah and he's got a couple he's got like a he's got a couple of papers that that look at it and basically show that if you take your daily one rep max and you if you're always working at 85 percent of one rep max if you do the the daily test and you use 85 percent of what you'd got on that day that your progression is better than if you just used what you did two weeks ago in your one rep max test. So, so, and, and Carlos is a researcher and developer of a couple of apps. And and so that one's, that one's seems really good. What it does is it measures the velocity of the barbell Mm. using the force velocity relationship. It will then be able to calculate. All right. Given that you move the, that weight this fast, this is what your maximum weight would be. Yeah, uh, that is next level optimization for those of you who are listening, who are ready to uh, experiment with it. Very cool stuff, Keith. Thanks so much for sharing. I I knew you were going to bring some gems, uh, some things that nobody has ever heard about before. But this is the way to optimize what you're up to when you have so many things dialed in. And you said something really important because a lot of people, they don't like to go backwards when it comes to the weights. But what you said, if I heard you correctly, 
is that it you actually get better progress when you use something like this to tell you, okay, what is your one rep max today? What weight should you be lifting today based on this test rep and using the velocity? It doesn't matter about what you lifted two weeks ago. And if you stick with that, that strict, inflexible approach, it actually leads to worse results. It does lead to worse results, but it's, and it depends on why it is. Because some days you're going to be lifting more than you should be. Some days you're going to be lifting less than you should be. And so it, just like you said, you know, some days, oh, the only time I can fit in a workout is in the morning, but I know that I'm not as strong in the morning. So how do I gauge what I should be lifting if I know that I'm not as strong in the morning? And so this is just a way that you can normalize everything to basically your own performance. Very cool. And so I think, you know, that's why, that's why I think it's, it's useful and it works. And I think it works pretty well. Keith, um, I've got a question. Let's say I wanted to transform my body as fast and of course, as safely as possible. How, what would the lifting frequency be? What would the parameters around the workout, what, what would the variables be? Can you offer any um, perspective on that? Yeah, so so the way that the way that we try and do this is we try and say, and again, I haven't done specific studies in a lot of these things. So I'm, you know, I'm a lot of this work. I'm I'm referencing other people's work, um, but what we what those studies have have shown um, is that if you are going to progress with these types of with an overload um, strategy. One of the things that you'll see a lot of people doing is a, a lot of periodization. And the idea behind periodization is that certain tissues adapt faster than other tissues. So then we're going to do some deloading weeks and some reloading weeks. And so, so there's all kinds of different strategies there. What we can tell you is that the muscle doesn't necessarily, it's not that the muscle is going to do better if you're doing a, a periodized training program. The muscle, if it's just about the muscle, the muscle will continue to progress if you continue to give it the stimulus. So a little bit of, and so there's a couple of things that we know happen over time. And that's that as we get going, our progress starts to slow. Right. Okay. And so that's true for everybody. So the nice thing is we get really fast progress at the beginning. A lot of it's because we're learning the, uh, the exercises. And so as we learn how to do them, we become better at them until we get stronger or appear to be stronger. And then once we've learned how to do it, that progression slows down. And that's why people have designed things like P90X, which is this kind of muscle confusion idea. Basically, all you're doing is you're shifting the exercises. So you're never learning how to do it. So the idea is that you don't plateau. You do plateau, you just don't see it in the same way. Right. It's not as mentally draining to some people. Because like at, at the University of Michigan, we used to have guys who, oh, I can't lift two, two plates on a bench press. And oh, okay. And so what we actually ended up doing, was we ended up engineering a, a weight plate that was a 45, but it weighed only 40 pounds. Or no, it was, a, it was a 35, but it weighed 45 pounds. So it looked like it was a plate and a quarter or a plate and a 35, but it was actually two plates. So they got over this mental component of it that was holding them back and they were able to lift it. Because they thought it was only a plate and a 35. Oh, I can lift that. Yeah. And so they would be able to do it. So, so there's a bunch of different things that go into this. It's not just about the physiology. There's psychology. There's all kinds of things. But if you're trying to build your body, what you do is you start and we're all human. We go into the gym. We put, in a, we put on a weight that we can handle. And that's fine. Because the, the way that it's going to work is when you get to a certain number, you're going to increase the weight. And if you're just going to do one set and a set of 12, the first time you go into the gym, I don't care what you put on the weight set. Because the next time in the gym, if you got more than 12, you're going to go heavier. And if you do that and you put on a light weight at the beginning and you slowly build up, basically what you're doing is you're decreasing the likelihood that you're going to injure yourself so badly that you're never going to come back. That you're going to not be able to sit on the toilet for a week because you <laughs> lifted your legs really heavy and now you can't sit down anymore. But if you go into the gym and you put on a lightweight because you just you want to start easy, I'm totally good with that. Because as long as you follow the rules where if you hit 
on a big movement, you're going to hit, say, 20 repetitions or 12 repetitions. As soon as you hit 12 repetitions, the next time you're in the gym, you're going to go at a heavier weight. As long as you track those, eventually you're going to get to the weight you need to be at. So that's the first thing is don't try and get the weight perfect from the beginning. Because if you start with a lighter weight, as long as you follow some simple rules of progression, you're going to be fine. You're going to get up to where you want to be. Okay. And then the second thing is once you've got a single workout that is working where you're building up your, you understand how to do the lift, you can do the lift, you can get to failure. All of those things are great. How many workouts you do in a week is then going to be determined by how quickly you recover. And everybody's different. And you're going to change as you age as well. So I told you about the Michigan football team. We did two to three workouts a week. I know other teams do six times a week. For some people, if they're doing things and they're not going at a high intensity, they can do a greater frequency of workouts. As your intensity goes up, your frequency goes down. So if you're going to go to failure with a heavy weight, that's a high intensity workout. So the frequency, the number of times you go a week can come down. And so it can come down in the two to three range. And for some people, if they lift really, really hard, one time a week is about all they can do if they don't recover as well in other things. So, you know, what we tend to say is for a young person, you can look at a weight and get bigger and stronger. As you get older, it becomes harder and harder. And so we actually have to lift a little bit heavier and a little bit more as we get older because first of all, we know that strength is going to keep us alive. And second of all, it's a little bit harder for us to get um, as much of a stimulus from the from the workout. Yeah, great advice. And just to bring that last point home uh, and make it practical, would you say the best way to track whether you're recovering from your workout or not is are you able to perform more reps or if you're at the top of the rep range, like the eight to 12 rep range you, you referenced, if you're at that 12, can you come and lift more weight? Um, is Would that be the number one way? And is there anything else that we should be aware of as far as uh, gauging recovery? So your gauges of recovery are going to be, the best thing is, is, is really um, answering the question, honestly, how do you, how do I feel? Today? Oh, how do I feel? Okay. And, <laughs> That's a yeah. good one. And so one of the things, so I spent some time uh, in the summertime, I was sitting and listening to Roger Anoka, who's one of the great people in, in fatigue and in, in this idea of when he, when do you reach this level of fatigue? And what he, what he said is the only true measure of, of fatigue or recovery is, is asking somebody how tired they are. Uh, and when I, when I put that out, you know, a bunch of my colleagues who work with elite sports are like, that's absolutely correct. Because that's the number one measure that you have. That's the only true measure that you have. And so this idea is we can track a lot of things. One of the best things, if you're going to use something like my lift is that, oh, I know that I'm doing better than I was doing last time because look, it's already... But realize that there are going to be workouts where you went really hard and then you're going to come back in three days and you just don't quite have as much as you did that time. And so there will be times where your performance is going to come down, but that's why the idea of a test workout really works well. Because the idea of a test workout is that you have the same rest period before it, you're doing the same exercise so that everything is just, so it's like you know, you're going to put a, a weight on a bar and you're going to lift it as many times as you can. It's a fairly straightforward test. If you can do it more times than you did before, you're getting stronger. If you don't do it as many times, you're getting weaker. If you've had a good two to three days of recovery from your last workout, that should tell you where you are. And that's that's what I use to, to be a gauge. Yes, I'm looking at my weights every week, every day that I go into the gym. If I'm hitting the top of my range and I'm going up in weight, I'm making sure that when I come in the next time, I'm going to be able to kind of keep, continue that progress. And if I see that that progress is slowing, what I tend, the way that I work it is the way that I was taught years and years ago is that when I increase the weight, what I do is I go up a bigger amount of weight than there is in the gym. So, so the smallest free weights that we have in our gym are two and a half pounds. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to add five pounds every time I go up in weight. So five pounds per side, 
And then if I, if I can't get it, if I can't hit my target three days in a row, the five pounds come off, the two and a half goes on, and I take a half step backwards. Mm. And then I try and go for that exact same number, and then I try and build up from there. So what it is, is two steps forward, one step back. It, that's the idea. Is that when you're progressing and you get to the top end of your rep range, you're going to add a weight that is bigger than the smallest weight in the gym. So if you're on a machine, they usually have like a little way that you can add a small amount of weight, and then you can add a plate. So you can add a plate or what's equivalent to about half a plate. So when you're in the gym, if you're using a machine and you hit the top end of your rep range, you go up a plate. If you are trying for three times in the gym and you can't progress at that weight, you're going to take that plate off and you're going to put the half plate on. And now you're going to try and get it and you're going to try and progress from there. And that's, that's basically the progressions that we use. It's never a problem to take that half step back because you're still stronger than you were before. It's just a half step back from where you thought you had gone up enough. Very interesting. And I wanted to ask you for some clarification about the test workout. Uh, When you said it, I had this idea that, okay, here's a workout we're going to do. How, uh, you know, bench press, uh, pull downs, you know, squat, barbell, back squat, whatever the exercises are. We're going to do that workout. And then we're going to go into our programmed workout, whatever we're going to do. No, no. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it was, it's just, it's just to say, where do I stand? What's my strength today? Okay. So my test workout is going to be, I'm going to say one exercise, upper body, one exercise, lower body. And so if you want to do a bench and a leg press or a bench and a back squat or something like that, and all you do is you come in and that's basically all you're doing is you're seeing whether the workout that you're doing that program of the frequency, intensity, and duration that you're exercising in the gym, has that made you stronger than you were two to three weeks ago? And if it is, then you're doing the right things. If you then say, okay, now I want to, I really want to add that third or fourth day of working out in the gym, and you come back in two weeks and suddenly your performance has gone down on your test workout, now that's going to tell you that you're not giving yourself enough time for recovery you're not performing, you're not improving as much as you would, as your goal is. Okay. So, so that's what we're using the test workout for. This is a separate workout of one upper body, one lower body that we do separately from our workouts. That is a way to test recovery and progression. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how we test progression. So you can either do the progression on a daily one rep max or you can do it on these test workouts that you do every couple of weeks, every three weeks, two to three weeks. Yeah, very cool. Um, I want to. We've been we've been going for about forty minutes here, and I want to dive into some of the injury prevention because we're talking about you're you're giving so much great advice, practical things that someone listening right now can use in their workouts to get better results. But one of the things that sidelines so many people is injuries. And this is something where you've done a lot of research on. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and, of course, the the listener's time. Um, So I don't want to open a can of worms that's going to take another uh, 45 minutes. But do you think you could... We could uh, dive into it a little bit just to talk about the, um, just so people start to understand, oh, hey, there are some things going on. You go into the gym and especially if you're like me, I'm 42, you're, you said uh, 50, Keith, if you have a history of lifting, if you didn't have the guidance of really skilled professionals, like I didn't, you know, I had the high school football team, you know, it was all about working out hard and and throwing your weight into, you know, doing a tricep extension, for example. Uh, And we have some beat up joints, some, some joint wear and tear. Um, This is something rears its head and sidelines us. So are there some things that you could talk about in in the next uh, 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes that you could help us to understand why that's happening, how to avoid it, and uh, so that we can keep up with our strength training routine. 
Yeah, so so it's a great question because this is the key component is to, is if you if you need to be strong for longevity, you need to have the longevity in the in in your strength training. So so what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to lift the weights that you want to do. And a lot of times what will happen is people will get muscle or tendon injuries. And those muscle and tendon injuries happen because of how a tendon is. It's viscoelastic, which means that it gets stiffer as it moves fast. It gets less stiff as it moves slowly. So really what we do as strength coaches or what a good strength coach is programming for, they always think they're programming for the volume so how much you're lifting and the load and the, how much how much weight you're lifting and how many times. Basically, the volume is how many times you're lifting. The load is how much you're lifting. What we're actually programming is we're programming velocity. And that's really important because when we lift a heavy weight, by definition, force velocity relationship tells us we're going to lift it slower. If we develop force a little bit slower... That's actually good for the health of the muscle and the tendon together. Okay, so, so if you've ever had an Achilles tendon problem and you've gone to a physical therapist, they'll tell you to do these, what's called the Alfredson protocol, which is just a slow lengthening, slow eccentric load on the, on the, on the Achilles. And so the, everybody was focused on these eccentric loads for improving tendon function. But really, it's not about the eccentric component about it, it's about the slow. Because if you did an eccentric, but you did it quickly, it would cause more damage. And so I've got a PhD student right now who's trying to figure out the optimal program for how do I, what's the best, how long is the best contraction for? What's, what's the best joint angle to do this? So those are important questions. But what we know is that if we lift a heavier weight, the rate of musculoskeletal injuries goes down. If we do other things, like if we do stretching, stretching doesn't actually decrease injury rate. There's a beautiful meta-analysis that shows that the, if you look at all the studies that have looked at stretching and injury rate, it doesn't have any effect. But if you look at strength, heavy strength training, heavy strength training decreases injury rate by about two-thirds. Okay, so it's got a two-thirds to 75% decrease in, in injury rate. And the reason is heavy weight you move it slowly. And that's, again, what we talked about when we talked about lifting a heavy weight and going to failure. Because what failure is, is when you're, you're barely able to move it. And that's the slowest contraction that you're going to have is the contraction you have around failure. When, we're, when we take somebody who's got a, an established injury, so say you have a, a hole in one of your tendons, say you have a really, you've got a small tear in something, we let it heal enough so that there's connection, and then we start loading it. And the way that we load it is we use isometric loading, which is, means the joint doesn't change its angle. It doesn't mean the muscle doesn't change its length. It means the joint angle doesn't change. And when we do these isometrics, we do them for a long period of time. So if you already have an injury, the way that we would do it is we would load, and we would have you just hold a weight in a we don't know exactly the best position yet, but we're going to hold a weight. You can either do it at the beginning of the movement or in the middle of the movement, and you're going to hold it for upwards of 30 seconds. And the reason this is good for your tendons is if you have a damaged area of your tendon, all of the load goes around it. It's a process that's called stress shielding. It protects that tendon from tearing in two. So if you think about it, evolutionarily, if you're running around as an animal, if your tendon ruptures, you can't move anymore and you're going you're gonna to be eaten. You're going to die. Right. So what happens is you, you make this connective tissue that's super strong. And then if you get a small injury, all of the load can go around it. And that's great for protecting it from rupturing. But the problem is you need the load to go through it to fix the injury. So where you've got these strong tendons, you don't actually fix injuries. The interesting thing is if you take an animal that's in utero, so they've done this in sheep, where they do an injury in an adult animal's tendon, and they look to see how it repairs, or they do the exact same injury in a fetus, a fetal sheep, and they look to see how the tendon heals. If you do it in a fetus, the tendon heals perfectly. Mm. But it's because the rest of the tendon's really weak. In an adult, the rest of the tendon's really strong. And so what happens is you shield the, the injured area. 
So the only way to fix a tendon injury that we found is by using these isometric contractions because what happens is the strong part of the tendon relaxes through this process that's a native process to these tissues called stress relaxation. So the strong part of the tendon relaxes. And then what happens is the weak part of the tendon, the scar, gets loaded. And it's only when that load gets put across the tissue, the cells in the scar, that the cells within the scar know how to fix the tendon. They get the collagen in this direction. And that's how you get rid of a scar. That's the only real way that we found to get rid of a scar in people. There's other ways to do it in animals where you can inject things to make the tendon weak. But the only way to do it in person is to use this kind of stress relaxation loading. So if you're healthy, you lift a heavy weight, you do it under control, which means you don't try and throw it up at the, at, at the first repetition or whatever. If you're lifting a heavy weight, you're going to go to a lower velocity. So that's going to be better for your tendons as well. If you go to failure, your tendon is going to be, the movement is very, very slow. So you're going to get actual tendon elongation. So that's going to keep the tendon healthy. But if you already do have a tendon injury, then you're going to go to something where you allow the strong part of the tendon to relax using an isometric contraction that lasts about 30 seconds. So these aren't the high performance isometrics where it lasts for a fraction of a second where the joint doesn't change, but your muscle is contracting really fast. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about something where you, it's like almost like a wall sit where you sit there for a long period of time, everything kind of relaxes. And as it relaxes, now you get load through the injured part and the scar can go away. Wow. This is uh, mind-blowing stuff, uh, information that I've heard you talk about before. So it brings up the question for me, if someone has tendon injuries, because I, I have tendon injuries <laughs> for sure, it, the question is, okay, so we've got to do these isometrics and we've got to do them for 30 seconds. Uh, what would be the intensity of the contraction that we're looking at, say, on a, a scale of rate of, rate of perceived exertion? Are we pressing as hard as we can? Are we pressing about half as hard? And then the other question would be, what would be the frequency to do these isometric contractions for the best healing results? So those are two great questions. Um, and that's, it's a, it, it is a PhD student right now who's working on them. She's, she's just starting the process, so it's going to be a little while. But what, what we think is, what we're going in, our hypothesis entering, entering this work is that, is that the intensity, the load that you put on that is going to be important because the greater the load, the greater, as stress is relaxing, the greater load is going to go through the tendon area, the injured area, and that's going to provide the stimulus. And so we know that the load across the, the tendon is going to be important. We don't know what that's going to be. Um, I've had people who have given me, you know, I've had a bunch of case studies. Again, case studies are you know, just because there's multiple of them doesn't mean they're data. It just means that they're individuals. Usually the people who contact you from case studies, at least in my case, are people where it's been successful and they're happy about it. So, it, you know, you get bias inherently in there. But I've had people who, I've had one guy who's an elite um, discus thrower. He basically just put the, did he had a patellar tendon problem. He just put the weight all the way to the bottom, put an extra weight on it, and he would just push as hard as he could from the beginning, he would never be able to lift it with one leg, but he would push as hard as he could with one leg. I've had other people who do 80% of their one rep max. So I don't know that the load is super important. The length of time you hold it is really important. But again, we think that the load probably plays a role, but I think it's the time is a more important factor. Um, and we don't know that 30 seconds is the perfect time yet. That's part of, again, this PhD student. And then the second question is how frequently, and this is, this is a question that's a great one. So, so we had a, we had a professional basketball player with a hole in their tendon and, and they were doing these types of loadings twice a week. And that's all they were. They also played over 50 basket, professional basketball games during that time, filled in the hole within their tendon and everything was good. So the loading, the loading volume or the, the, the kind of duration of loading is, is kind of low. What we know about how the tendon cells respond is they don't, they don't respond for as much time as you exercise. 
So in a muscle, if you exercise for three hours, it's gonna, your muscle's going to respond for three hours. But in a tendon, it stops responding after about 10 minutes. And everything's shutting down and you're just accumulating damage. You're not actually giving a greater stimulus to ad- adapt. So what we do is we do these short, say, five to 10 minute workouts for our connective tissue. And because they're isometrics and there's not a lot of muscle damage, there's not a lot of soreness that comes from it. You can do it as frequently as every day if you're in a specific situation where you've got like a problem that's bothering you. You can do an isometric contraction, even if you're an elite athlete, every day because it doesn't really cause any muscle heaviness that you get from eccentrics. It doesn't, or from from doing a heavy a heavy lift because the isometrics don't have that same you know effect on the muscle. So you can do it as little as twice a week and as much as you know seven days a week. Um, but don't do it for a long period of time. It's enough to do a handful of contractions once a day, maybe a couple of times a day if you're early in the process, but you can do those relatively frequently. And would you do, you, you said keep the workouts to a few minutes. Would you say, you know, how many reps of these 30 second contractions would you recommend? Again, it's a great question. I'll, I'll have the data for you soon. What we you know, our hypothesis going in is three to four is fine because if you do a 30 second hold with like a minute of rest, again, that's one of the parameters that we're looking at is how long do you want to rest between them? Sure. But if you do a 30 second hold, you have a minute, two minutes of rest, and then you do another 30 second hold. By the time you've done three or four of them, you're already at 10 minutes. So, so we don't think it takes too much in order to get the stimulus. Wow. That's fantastic. Right. So three or four reps, there you go. Keith, I could, I have so many more questions and we didn't even talk about aerobic exercise. We didn't even talk about some of the nutrition, the interesting nutrition studies that you're into or about supplements. But again, I want to be respectful of your time and of the listener's time as well. Uh, So I would love to have you back on the show, man. You are just a wealth of information and I appreciate you so much and what you bring to the health and fitness world with uh, these evidence-based or science-based recommendations for getting better results. So thank you so much uh, for your time today. And please, let's do this again in the very near future. Okay. Sounds great. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd definitely like to, to come back in and talk about some of the other things. Yeah. And um, for someone listening who wants to uh, follow you and learn more about what you're up to, uh, I know you're very active on Twitter. You put up some great information there. I'll have um, your Twitter handle in the show notes for this page. Is there any other place that you'd like someone to connect with you? Well, people can people can either direct message me there. They can if they if they see some of the work that they're interested in. I've done some things with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute that are kind of they're kind of um, at a level for athletes and, and coaches and, and individuals who are training. So there's a few, there's a few things out there um, that are different resources that are maybe targeted more towards the late audience. And then if people have questions from there, they can, they can easily just message me. Great. Can you give a link to the Gatorade, the Gatorade? Yeah. So the Gatorade sports science is just gssiweb.org. Um, and then they have a whole bunch of different, um, I'm just checking to make sure that that's right. So gssiweb.org. And there, if you go on there, it's got, um, it's got the sports science exchange. And that's basically people like Stu Phillips, myself, we write some nutrition and loading type of things and how they affect different aspects. So there's things on the brain, there's things on polyphenols, there's things on protein. So all of those types of things are there. And I've got a couple of those that are out there and there's a couple of other things that you can find. Excellent. Well, Keith, it's just been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, but most importantly, your time that you took today. And uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And I want to just say something, a message from me to you. 
personal message here. I could go after guests who have big followings. This is this is what people do in the space, the podcast space. I could go after guests that have big followings, but they really don't give good information. They're just charismatic people and they have good marketing. I stay away from those people. I don't want them on the podcast. I get guys like Keith on because you're learning the best of the best information. That's what I'm about. You put what you learned today into action, you're going to get a result from doing it. Unlike some people who might tell you to shine a light on your testicles to increase your testosterone by a fraction of a percent. You, you might know who I'm talking about. So that's what we're about here at Legendary Life. We get guests on who talk about what you can actually use in your life. And I hope you appreciate it as much as I have fun, um, you know, finding these people and, and sharing their message and their information, their knowledge, their wisdom with you. One more thing and I'll let you go. I just want to let you know, it's uh, getting to be that time of year. And I just wanted to let you know, by Christmas time, you could be down 5, 10, or even 15 pounds on the scale. You could be stronger than you've ever been before. You could be eating carbs every single day and making your keto friends jealous. You could be working out three days a week for 45 minutes or so and still make incredible progress. You could be smiling at your holiday parties leaner than ever while everyone else is growing their waistline. You could be looking back at your legendary light programming experience and saying, wow, I can't believe it. This is too good to be true. I wasted so much time trying to research on my own, trying to figuring things out and never really getting anywhere and not taking action. And I'm so glad that I took a chance and invest in, my, in myself. And after that, if you take what I teach you during the 12 week legendary light program and continue to use it, well, you could end up like so many of our clients For example, I just spoke to Sarah, who, if you haven't heard her story, she lost a hundred pounds and from a couple years ago, right? She was a client from a couple years ago. And you may be asking, well, why are you bringing up a client from a hundred, I mean, a hundred years ago? Was it that long? It was a couple years ago. Uh, Why are you bringing up a client from back then? Why aren't you talking about someone new? Well, I've got some new ones on the way some new testimonials that we'll be sharing with you on the way. But I want to tell you this, I'm saying it because it's been years later, she's still maintaining her 100 pound weight loss. Do you know how unheard of that is? In fact, 95% of people end up gaining the weight within three years. So Sarah has made it past that point. That is what we do here at Legendary Life. That is what I'm committed to doing. And if that is something that interests you, if you're looking for leanness, strength, confidence, knowledge, self-worth, and perhaps most importantly, power. Do you know how powerful it is to know exactly how to lose fat and get into amazing shape? As in no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you want to lose fat, you know exactly what to do nutrition-wise, exactly what to do in the gym. How would that make you feel? Like a freaking superhero. Have you seen pictures of me lately? I'm uh, I'm not shredded. Nobody's uh, going to be calling me to be on the cover of the magazine because I eat too much flourless chocolate cake, but and drink too many uh, Thai iced teas with all the sweetened condensed milk. But I'm down. I'm probably about 11% if uh, body fat right now. I didn't see my abs like I haven't seen in a long time. Um, I'll, I'll be sending you a photo or just check me out on Instagram. You can see exactly what I'm talking about. Or you could just stay like you you're, you're currently are. It's totally your call uh, because I only want to work with people who are really tired of the BS and tired of all the conflicting information and tired of not getting the results, even though they're working so hard for it. I want to work with the people who are ready to take back the power they have deep inside of themselves. So if you are resonating with that message, no more messing around. If you are ready, I want you to go to legendarylifeprogram.com slash apply to book a call. That's legendarylifeprogram.com slash apply to book a call. And on the call, we're going to do a few different things. We're going to get you clear on exactly what your body health and lifestyle should look like, as well as the exact steps you should take to becoming leaner, sexier, and healthier faster than you ever thought possible. And there's nothing to buy on the call. It's just 
a talk to see if you're right for the program. And if you aren't right for the program, I give you some advice and send you on your way. And if you are right for the program, if you think it's a good fit and I think it's a good fit, we may invite you to be part of the coaching program. And if you do join the coaching program, we'll put you through the same program that we put our most successful clients through. This program is designed to get you the body and the health you always wanted, no matter your age, busy lifestyle, or how many times you tried and failed in the past. If that sounds good, again, go and book a call at legendarylifeprogram.com slash apply. The end of the year is coming up. If you want a head start, if you want to get this handled now, now's the time to take action right now. In fact, yesterday was the time to take action, but the next best time is today. So go to legendarylifeprogram.com slash apply, book a call now, have an amazing week. Looking forward to speaking with you.